0: Hi everyone, what's your highlight of the week? Thank you for joining us again tonight. This is MIT Podcast. MIT stands for Mindset into Transformation. I'm Benjamin Huang, your host tonight. Here we have conversation with people who have done extraordinary things in their life, how their mindset shift to help them achieve it. We discuss their story of success and the mindset that drive them into achieving the impossible. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Today, I'm very excited to have a great entrepreneur joining us. He's very young, comparing to many of us. At the same time, he's already very experienced in starting business and boosting business growth. Daniel Miller. How are you, Danny? Good. Thanks for having me, Benjamin. Appreciate it. For sure, for sure. There's a lot that we should talk about. Uh, you have done a lot of impressive things. Um, actually, before the recording, we actually have you know touch base and with your um, uh, the information that you share with us. Um, you were saying that you were um, just getting out of college, and uh, you start to you know getting ready for your first job. And before yeah. you even getting started, you got a, a pay cut already.
1: Yeah, happy to explain it. So I graduated from UMass Amherst in May of 2020, and I was planning on just taking the whole summer off between May and September, basically just to hang out. I was playing tennis, I was day trading stocks, it was fun. Um, But about halfway through the summer, I got a notification from uh, the company that I was uh, set up to work for at the time. It was PricewaterhouseCoopers, large public accounting firm. and they said hey you know just being conservative because of covid you know, we're going to dock your salary by $1000 and again 1000 bucks in the grand scheme of things over the course of multiple paychecks across the year is you know, i don't know 25 50 bucks um, but either way i was like kind of rubbed the wrong way by it so i reached out to a buddy of mine that i lived with at umass and i was like hey man how can we make 1000 bucks online um just looking to kind of replace the thousand bucks that we had lost. And, and that was basically it. So um, we had found this thread on Twitter um, of, of all places basically saying, Hey, if you're a decent salesperson, you can be basically the middleman or the white label salesperson for, uh, you know, people that sell high ticket products online, courses, masterminds, one-on-one coaching, things like that. Um, so, we spent three, four, five days laboring over what we would call our little fake business, and uh, you know, building a, a website to try to make ourselves look legit, so that we could go out and try to get one client, sell one thing, and then make a thousand bucks. That was basically the entire goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we uh, we started like cold messaging people on, on Instagram. I'd send a video, you know, saying, "Hey, you know, blah blah blah. Saw your program. Would love to be the salesperson for it." And uh, first guy that we got in touch, well, first guy that we actually reached out to. Uh, ended up being our client, this guy, Jason Drees, and I've still work with him to this day. Um, he said, I don't need white label sales, but I need a group coaching program. Can you guys build that? And we're like, uh, I, you know, I don't really know. My, my background was sort of in e-commerce and, uh, my buddy's background was in, you know, copywriting and things like that. So we're like, ah, we're looking to make the money. Why not? Um, so we dove into it and, uh, worked on kind of like a commission only basis. So we worked for free for, three months and my job at pwc had started and eventually the group program was a pretty big success we got a decent check um and then we quit our jobs in december of 2020 and haven't looked back wow so how long have you have you worked on your first job uh i i quit my job after three months wow
0: not well probably shortly after probation i guess
1: yeah it was uh it was it was maybe a little tight, I think, for everybody's comfort, so yeah, and it was right before the busy season, so it was there were a few conversations where people said, you know you are you are burning every bridge and you know there will be no no way for you to come back and i was I was okay with that that's what, you know I wasn't wasn't my favorite job anyways yeah, yeah
0: I, I I just curious right I mean, since you're working with uh Jason, um you know my is a big thing to him, yep, right. Um, I wonder, uh, like, right, because before you started the job, you have already, you know, started a business and, you know, probably doing already pretty well, right? Sure. Um How how did that, uh, you know, mindset that, you know, um, align
1: with your job or does it align at all? It I'm really didn't. Yeah, it really didn't align with the job. So, you know, I think my starting salary at PwC was, 64 grand, um, you know, you can eventually get it up to maybe 75 in year two, and you kind of peak at maybe 120, 130. Mm. Um, So I I knew that that was kind of the the trajectory that existed there. Um, But when I started interacting with Jason, he really kind of opened my eyes to Uh, there's a whole lot more out there than, than 70 grand a year working, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks. So uh, Jason's been a huge, huge proponent of the success that, uh, you know, the business has been able to have uh, both for myself, my partner, people on our team. He's been awesome.
0: Yeah. Is there anything he says specifically that, you know, uh, really just, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, get get you out of you know, your original frame and, 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 right. Just, uh, convince you to really pursue other, uh, interesting journey
1: than staying on the nine to five or paycheck job. So I think that what Jason made me realize very early on is that we, we, we were very young at the, you know, I mean, we still are pretty young. Right. So he's like, you guys really don't have much to lose. Um, but so, so, so much to gain. And I think that, you know, the biggest takeaway that I have always been, you know, that I've always had from Jason is his concept around, you know, shifting frames. Right. So a lot of that is kind of rooted in visualizing a future version of yourself, the outcomes that you're expecting to have, uh, the things that you want to achieve, and then basically reverting back to your, your present self, your current body, and then operating as that future version, right. um, right. So that's, I'd say, the, my biggest takeaway from Jason. It's been super valuable in all the stuff that we've done. Mm. Cool, cool, cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, that. And 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 if, if you're if you're listening to our conversation now, right, uh, you probably are wondering why why don't we just get right into you know the entrepreneur journey and you know those business those incredible things that Danny has done. But the uh, the thing is, like all the extraordinary things, start with myself shift. Right. You've got to be able to convince at least yourself that you'll be able to do that right, right? otherwise you will never get started right you,
1: you I mean I'll tell you like, when we had quit our jobs <clears throat> so when we quit our jobs the, the monthly revenue of the business was I think thousand dollars split between two guys with 250 bucks of expenses. so it was uh, it was pretty slim pickings and I think you know a lot of that, uh, you know, confidence to to take the leap is attributable to the mindset shift that right. everything's going to be fine. Um, you know, you just got to put, put the work in,
0: right? Do you think you can give us a, a brief, um, or just a quick understanding on what's the number that you, you guys are doing right now, comparing with you know the initial um, you know,
1: <laughs> the initial bucks? 1k? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, right now, we're doing about 70 to 80 grand a month in revenue, 70 to 80. Pretty, doing pretty good, and that's what that was. What
0: two years ago, three years ago? About yeah, about eighteen months ago, I would say. Okay, okay. See, this is tremendous growth, right? If if you're like working for nine to five, there's no way you can get that much of growth in terms of percentage, right? Right. Crazy. Okay, Danny. Let's get get into um. <clears throat> you uh you you have also mentioned that you your expertise more on e commerce,
1: right? Originally, yeah, I had a uh, an e commerce business back in college, so that was kind of the starting point. You want to give us a bit more detail on what you
0: actually did, and um, like like how how it went, and what drive you you know through certain you know journey, and decided to to
1: to fit to, to you know wrap up. Yeah, for sure. So I was uh, I think like I said, I graduated from UMass, but I actually started at UConn. I was very miserable there. Um, just didn't enjoy it. Didn't like being in the middle of nowhere. I had great friends, but you know, I was an engineering major and I wasn't probably smart enough to be an engineering major. Um, uh, so anyways, I was pretty bored and I was filling my time with, uh, you know, random businessy sort of things. I was always looking up ideas, different things to do. Um, and then finally I was like, you know what, let me start this e-commerce business. And at the time, uh, there was a popular model called, um, for apparel brands, like on-demand printing and fulfillment. So Mm -hmm. basically you could sell t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, pants, et cetera. Um, You wouldn't have to buy any any inventory basically. Yeah, exactly. Just put the picture up on a web store, the order gets placed, and then, you know, an API calls over to Printful or whoever your fulfillment partner is and they print it, pack it, ship it. Um, So I started doing that and... You know, it was very small, but it was, you know, it, it was cool. And we, we actually had a uh, a joint venture deal with Jose Canseco. I don't know if, if you're familiar with the name, but he was a big uh, Major League Baseball player during the steroid era. And he was kind of like, you know, infamous almost for being one of the the OG kind of steroid guys. Mm-hmm. So anyways, Jose had, uh, it was funny, like we wanted to partner with different players and make mm-hmm. like personalized, branded uh, clothing for each of the players, we reached out to Jose and it was like, you know, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night. And the guy responded like instantly. And it was like his agent. He's like, Jose wants to get on the phone with you tonight. I was like, okay, I'm like, you know, 17 years old, like this is Uh a joke. So he's like FaceTiming me from his mansion in Las Vegas. Um, and we ended up working out a deal. Um, it was funny though, is that I ended up spending more on legal fees to draft up the joint venture agreement and go through the whole process. Then we actually made selling clothes for him. Wow. Um, but there's a, it's kind it's kind of cool. There's like a picture of him wearing the, uh, the shirt on like good morning America. Um, and then we ended up doing some stuff with some players on the Red Sox. I got to meet a couple of players at Fenway Red Sox posted, uh, our shirts on their Instagram page mm-hmm. and we started selling a bunch of stuff. And then I ended up just kind of getting sick of it. I sold my you know majority share to a minority partner and, Uh, I went to school. So back in UMassive, I just didn't want to do it. I, you know, I'm kind of like a promiscuous, uh, I I just like maybe a promiscuous business person. Like I just, I I got tired of it and I was like, eh, there's something, there's something else. I want to go do something else, focus on something else. So yeah, I just kind of gave up actually. How was the revenue look like when uh, when you sold the- Very small. I mean, it was, it it was very minor. I'd say maybe 10, 15 grand a month. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't like a big- production or anything like that, more mm. like a side hustle.
0: Right, right, right. It's kind of a fun thing to do when it's no longer as fun. You
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and keep in mind, the margin on that stuff was extremely low, you know? So it's like, you've got customer acquisition costs with ad dollars, you've got cost of goods, and it's very expensive because you're not holding inventory. You're using a production development exactly. partner. It's like, yeah, you know, I don't know. And you're
0: taking not. all the risks. Exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. Cool. Um, the next thing that you did was um, you founded your current company, right? Correct.
1: How did it go? Well, like I said, you know, we were just looking to make a thousand bucks and we never had any intentions of starting a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so my Giref plan... Or G-Ref? Uh, yeah, that was Giref. the... Uh, yep. So we never had any intentions though, of, you know, starting a business or scaling it or anything like that. It was, again, just kind of a vehicle to make a thousand bucks. Um, my plan from the gate was, I'll go work at PwC for a couple of years. I was in a data consulting role, you know, Mm -hmm. I was pretty savvy with SQL and, you know, Python and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and I figured, okay, I'll go do this and then I'll go, you know, maybe into like a strategy role at a more boutique consulting firm and just kind of like climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. That was really my original plan. Mm Um, but eventually, I was just having a lot of fun with the uh, the work that we were doing for Jason, and mm-hmm. um, I started to kind of see, hey, like maybe I could get pretty good at this marketing stuff and go from right. there. So um, that's really where it all it all started. And uh, you know, now we're pretty much full service digital marketing agency, primarily serving uh, two niches: online education, so courses, masterminds, membership programs, and then, ironically, real estate investment firms uh, doing accredited investor lead gen for funds and syndications. Cool.
0: Very cool. And Danny, this is actually how I heard about you um, initially. Um, I actually also do, um, you know, uh, well, my, my primary focus now is real estate, apartment uh, uh, cool. syndication. And uh, I also did e commerce in the past, just FYI. Oh, um Actually, that is still kind of going right now. So awesome. I, I, I can use maybe some of your um, wisdom, right? <laughs> But I, I understand uh, how those journey look like. And I believe what you have been doing is, uh, you know, already very um, entrepreneur. I have to say, right. Cause most people they're just following step-by-step on what they should do and just kind of, you know, learn from people who are selling course online. Right. right. Just learn from the course, do it step-by-step just like, how they're doing in school, right? Whatever a teacher told you to do, you just follow step by step and you're hoping to reach the same goal or same level of, of you know, success. But it's, it's not like that, right? Doing business, you can, you can avoid making the same mistake, but repeating the success is difficult.
1: Correct. So I'll give you a little bit of context, Benjamin, about how our business went from where we were to where we are. Um, and then now how I kind of like look back on that evolution. So, so like you said, very entrepreneurial, we were building the plane as we were flying it. Um, and basically we just said yes to literally everything. So we never had a plan. We never had a direction. It was conversation after conversation of somebody saying, Hey, I need this. Can you do that? Us saying, haven't done it before. Happy to figure it out for you though. And they said, great, let's do it. Um, and that's basically how we grew the business. And then ultimately we, we kind of niched down into, you know, three core service areas, you know, a couple industries. Um, so it's like a double-edged sword though, because that approach that we took of saying yes to everybody doing literally everything, um, you know, allowed us to, you know, kind of go from zero to 70 or 80, right. Mm -hmm. in, In monthly revenue. But at the same time, it's, we're kind of at an inflection point now where it's like to, to scale, um, a lot of the business is highly dependent on you know, me and my partner from a, a strategy perspective, an operational perspective, such that it's hard to bring people in and do things that are so different for each client across the board. So um, I wouldn't change anything about the way that we got started, but going forward, we're definitely kind of changing our operating model to be much more specialized. Right. Uh, and kind of following that step by step plan so that we can bring people in to scale faster.
0: Yeah, I I, I think Danny just t- touched on a very important point, right? Just basically people who are just starting up, right? You have to try a lot of things to see what you're best at, right? Correct. You, I means you can. I mean, every single person has their own talent, uh, like talent, right? They can do many different things, and eventually you will figure out you do a certain thing best or a few things best, and then it's probably ideal for you to just you know keep growing in that specific niche or specific area, right? could agree and, more. Yeah, and and I mean like this is this is uh, I mean if 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 you look back to many people who are you know doing very well, this is kind of how they get into their current success,
1: right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, we had to we had to say yes to everything because again there was. Yeah, a thousand something. bucks split between <laughs> two guys. Right. Yeah. Um, but if, I mean, we, to be honest with you, Benjamin, we don't, I don't know that we even figured out what we were good at until like a year into the business. You know, it was, it was borderline that long until we're like, Oh, okay. Like this is truly what we're best at. This is the value that we can provide. We've got mm-hmm. the repeatable results to show it. Um, so yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to start out broad, right. And get started mm-hmm. somewhere. Uh, but eventually to kind of get past the threshold from, you know, okay, we're a small business with, you know, five to 10 employees and take it up to the next level. I mean, and again, right. I'm not there yet at mm-hmm. 20 to 30 employees, but my suspicion is that I need to specialize and, and go, right. you know, kind of mm-hmm. super deep pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Danny, there's, uh, there's, there's one more, one more thing I, I, I see you, you know, just um, mention it, but I, I also see that to be extremely critical for the successes of uh, Basically, you're creating value to people to start, yep. right? Uh, you you understand what people need. You try to figure out, try to create a value for the people, um, you know, to fulfill their need, right? And eventually, you are specialized in different thing, and right. That's that's kind of how we get off the ground. Um, and if I can ex- expand that a bit more, um, so with your current three focus. Um, your service, right. One is basically the, um, you're, you're saying paid, di- paid digital, yep. uh, marketing. Right. Yeah. ads,
1: exactly. And what's the, se- the second one, the funneling or, um, Yep. Like funnel design is typically what we call it. So it's basically, you've got a product, you've got a service, or you've got a fund that you're looking to raise. Mm-hmm. We put together a funnel, which is going to have landing page, sales page, email sequences, Different data capture mechanisms, basically, to take somebody in who's totally cold, never heard anything about you, and then get them to the point at the bottom of the funnel where they're taking the action that you want. Them basically, to
0: a selling machine. Exactly. And so, basically, you are building selling machine for your customer exactly. for different purposes. Right. Correct. Perfect way to and, describe it. Cool. And do you want to give us some, you know, brief understanding on, you know, how, uh, like, like what what it takes for you guys to really build it up and um, you know, to say if there's a client um, you know looking around for different services, why don't they just build it themselves instead of they you know they should work with you guys?
1: Yeah, for sure. So again, very highly dependent on the product that somebody's bringing to the table. Um, but a lot of times people aren't building out their own funnels or their own selling machines. Um, as you described it, uh, because they don't actually have the, the full picture on what's working in their specific niche. So what's benefit, beneficial for us is that we work with a lot of different players in the same industries. Um, and we have the luxury to test on you know, each different product, three different ways to sell it or four different ways to sell it. Um, and then we've got you know, different analytics mechanisms plugged in throughout each way, uh, each part in the funnel to say, okay, conversion rate from cold traffic to data capture is X then from data capture to this next level is why. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically it's like a data analytics equation, right? So we want to figure out what's going to be the cheapest way for somebody to acquire a customer. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've got a breadth of clients that we're already doing that for. And we apply a lot of those learnings to our new clients. How many clients are you working with right now and how they're doing? Yeah, right around 20. Um, So typical engagement for us is kind of a monthly... Uh, monthly sort of engagement where we're doing, we build out the funnel at the front end and then we manage the ads and then iterate on the funnel uh, on kind of a monthly ongoing basis. Some people work with us on a one-off basis just to build a funnel, very much dependent, but no overall great results for the clients. Um, You know, people have stayed with us for, you know, again, right when we started, we started with Jason, he's still with us. Um, A lot of our earliest clients are still with us today.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Jason's program has been booming uh, in, the, yeah. in the past 12, 12 months or 18 months, right? Yeah. Crazy. Cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so if you're listening and you're interested to um, to a, a, someone who is specialized in building a selling machine, feel free to reach out. To the end of the podcast, we'll include um, Dennis, uh information and his uh, you know upcoming website. Right. And also um, his, his, uh, his contact. So if you're interested, feel free to reach out. <clears throat> uh, Danny, let's get into the next topic that I'm extremely interested in was that you mentioned that uh, from what you're doing, you notice that a lot of um, people have the money that's basically sitting on the sideline looking for um, the right deal. Um, yep. I don't know if that just specifically in uh, real estate or that kind of apply to elsewhere. Want to give us some color to it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I guess for everybody's context, um, one of the things that we've done over the course of time is get very deep on uh, accredited investor legion for funds and syndications. So basically we built out the the funnel model or the selling machine model, right, that that converted cold traffic to customers for courses and memberships and mastermind programs. And we took our learnings from that online education model and then applied it to just this different industry, which is capital raising. And we found that a lot of the same principles um, on the online education side actually worked just as well, if not better, on the capital raising side, because at the end of the day, it all comes down to nurturing somebody, uh, providing value, making sure they know, like, and trust you. Um, and then giving them the information that they need to convert. Right. Um, so there's kind of a formula to it. And so we've been working with different funds and syndications um, to help kind of bridge the, uh, the gaps in capital that they have when they're raising money for a deal. So one of the things that we see a lot of is that um, if a syndicator is raising money um, on a deal, they're able to, to get a certain amount from friends and family. Uh, maybe they've got some people on their network But eventually if they want to continue to take down bigger and bigger deals, there becomes kind of this gap, right? And, you know, say you're raising 20 million, you can pull together 10 million from friends, family, and your network. Where do you get the other 10 million? Um, And a lot of times what people have to do is go to an outside partner, um, another fund, a private equity firm. um, And that money is substantially more expensive. These are people that want a GP position in the fund or the syndication. Um, Their terms aren't as great. So you end up paying more and your returns are lower. So our pitch really in this space is, okay, if you can continue to build out your list of accredited investors, people that will invest with you on favorable LP terms, um, over the course of time, if you nurture those people, provide good deals, provide good returns, um, your cost of capital is going to go down. Mm -hmm. So what we've seen is that there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines, as Benjamin said. There's... Plenty of accredited investors out there that have capital that's ready to be deployed. Um, A lot of times they're just looking for a sponsor or a syndicator um, that's reliable, trustworthy, um, and somebody that can give them good returns, Uh, particularly now with uh, where the stock market's at. (laughs) And uh, there's so many players in the real estate space, but there's I don't think as many that are broadly you know, positioning themselves as a place for, for you know, in- investors to place their capital. So really what we do is try to make those connections between syndicators and funds, the accredited investors, um, and then help bridge the gap. So um, over the course of time, the thought process is that, hey, if you build out a list of, you know, thousands of accredited investors and provide great deals, your cost of capital is going to go down over the long term. You're not going to need to source money from private equity um, or other funds and syndications. Mm-hmm.
0: Guys, right here, this is the value, right? Bridging the the two different sides of need together. Right. One side they're looking for a deal, the other side are looking for capitals. Right. When you uh you know establish such a you know bridge that connect to end, this is how you do a great business. So Danny, this is a, a great, great lesson. I really appreciate you you give us more time, more yeah. context to it. <clears throat> Um, I think uh, throughout your journey, right, uh, business is not always, you know, good times, right? There, there got to be good time, and bad time, right? Right. Well, you want to give us some, you know, uh, story about the good times and bad times?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, good times is just every day, uh, you know, getting up and, and being able to work with my my best friend from college. I think that's that's a ton of fun. Um, you know, he and I, for a while, we actually started the business from the same house. So we, we lived together, uh, in Cambridge and then we had another buddy who was in the house who eventually quit his job at Raytheon to join us. So I'd say building the business with friends has been an absolute blast. Uh, the relationships that we've made along the way have been spectacular. Um, a lot of, we're, a lot of our clients were pretty much friends with at this point. So that's been a ton of fun. Um, and then seeing great client results, you know, we just helped somebody raise 1.2 million bucks in, uh, I don't know, about 90 days. So it's pretty cool. So th- those are the big wins. You know, I think that there are some, obviously some bad times, right? Um, you know, you, you give up the nine to five, but instead of having the nine to five, you've got the the eight to 10, um, yeah. you know, plus the weekend. So yep. uh, it's definitely a lot of work, but, you know, it, it all comes, uh, comes with good reward. And I think the other, you know, tough thing for me is, it's really managing uh, employees. So we've got about ten people on our team. I'm naturally kind of a people person, and and you know, I'm predisposed to wanting people to like me. Um, so having to give negative feedback is challenging. Having to terminate people is challenging. Um, you know, so none of that stuff is fun, but it kind of comes with the territory if you're going to grow a business. For sure, for sure, right? I mean, those are things you can avoid, right?
0: I mean, right. If if you if you've chosen to, you know, to you know, doing this, this is where you need to go. To go go through, right? Of this is more of you know risk aware thing, right? If you if you are willing to put in much more effort than other people's, right? Uh, you you get much higher work, right? Especially in, the, in in this timing, right? Um, just mentioned about stock market. Um, we uh, I think just a couple of days before this recording, there was what more than thousands uh, point drop on on Dow or something.
1: Yeah, right?
0: it doesn't add. Have- <laughs> pretty crazy. Um, Danny, is there any, any uh, specific uh, challenge that you have faced throughout the journey um, that uh, kind of make you to do a shift um, in terms of your original directions or shift on the mindset, changing you how to do things, the kind of the way that you're doing things that you can
1: share with us? For sure. So This is actually something that I, I would say I've reconciled in the last like two to three weeks, but has been enormous for me. So bear with me on the, on the brand new content. Um, so as a, as a business owner and somebody who basically gives everything I have to the business seven days a week, um, a lot of times I feel like my identity is actually tied up in the business. So it's like very hard to separate Danny as an individual from Jen rev the business. Um, particularly as it relates to client relationships, right? If somebody is unhappy with Genrev internally, I'm like, oh boy, they're unhappy with Danny. And it creates this weird disconnect in my brain. It's very challenging to deal with. Um, and on the flip side, if somebody's happy with Genrev, oh, they're thrilled with Danny, right? And it's like this super highest of highs. So there's like this kind of pendulum, right? These highest of highs, lowest of lows um, that I think a lot of entrepreneurs experience on their journey is the same thing, right? So it's like, if when your identity is so tied up in the business, so too is your day to day kind of emotional state. And I think now, um, you know, post COVID people are are struggling with mental health. That's, that's something that I would say to be aware of. And one of the ways that I've kind of overcome the uh, correlation between personal happiness and results in the business is to recognize that independent of the business like I have my own life, right? So I have this little graph. I guess it's like a little chart that I draw. It's like Danny's up here, right? And then there's these different webs that go down, and like GenRev is just a piece. It's one of the things under the web. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole bunch of blank space over here: friendships, relationships, family, hobbies, free time, things that I that I like. Future to do businesses. Are- <laughs> Exactly, future businesses. I was just talking about a porta potty thing the other day. Mm-hmm. That's in the back burner. Back burner. So nice. Always thinking, but yeah. So it's. I think it's important to, uh, to kind of create that separation. Right. Is just understanding that while you're pouring a disproportionate amount of time and energy into something, there's still blank space, um, and there's still more to you than just the you know the identity that's connected to the business. So I would say that's an important thing to note.
0: This is a this is a great great content
1: I I, I have to say
0: right um, people whomever whomever you're listening in right uh, t- t- whatever age you're at right there's there's still a huge chunk of blank page in your live chapter to to fill right Yep. so it, this right uh, you can look at what you already have or or what what you had in the past but there's always a lot more thing that you can do in the in in, in the future right of course <clears throat> um Danny let's touch on the the books that you talked about right there's there's a of course right you work with Jason and he recently came up with a new books right um you want to give us uh, the books that you recommend our listener to 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 read that impact you the most
1: of course. Yes. Yeah, so I'll start with, uh, I'll start with Jason's book, do the impossible just came out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, do the impossible by Jason trees is what I would say is a distillation of Jason's entire success journey into, you know, four hours of reading, uh, that if you can understand at least 80% of it, or tell yourself that you commit to understanding at least 80% of it, you're going to walk away with absolutely enormous transformation. Um, Jason's approach to success and mindset is very different from the typical business coach or performance coach. Um, One of the biggest things that Jason talks about is that volume of effort does not necessarily equate to volume of results. Hard work doesn't necessarily equal success. Um, Hard work puts you in a position to succeed, but doesn't necessarily ensure success. Um, Jason believes the starting point to success is alignment. Um, alignment with yourself, alignment with your target, alignment with your desires, things like that. Um, And a lot of that is kind of rooted in this concept around shifting your frame, like I mentioned earlier, to that future version of yourself, um, and then making decisions in the present as if you were in the future. Um, This book, again, Do the Impossible, I'd say pretty much step-by-steps, gives you the guide um, and the mental framework for how to work through these things, how to think like that. Um, For me, it's been enormously helpful. Um, Again, as somebody who has dealt with a lot of uncertainty especially starting the business early on um, just kind of having that north star and being able to to consistently show up with confidence and alignment in the day to day i'd say that's uh it's a must read yes
0: and and this concept actually applied to many different things not just business right? right if if you're if you're looking or if you're if you have been dreaming to become some become you know the, someone or or get into a certain uh you know uh, career stage right getting yourself a li- uh, getting yourself aligned and having you know implementing those uh, methods that that Jason mentioned in the books will help you in in, in the in a great degree right? for sure
1: is there other books that you would recommend so there are I would say my my favorite uh, my favorite book that is not business and success but is kind of adjacent to that is Algebra of Happiness by Scott Galloway. Mm -hmm. Um, are you familiar with scott benjamin or no no so he's a professor of marketing at nyu stern Um, he's got a couple podcasts where he talks you know intersection of business and tech and occasionally some politics um i think he's an incredible thinker in the algebra of happiness he basically distills his 55 or 60 years of life experience into a few simple equations um, around really what it takes to be happy and it's it kind of contradicts conventional wisdom, I think in many ways and and makes you think different. So I guess there's the common theme for you. I I like stuff that kind of shifts how you think and is a little bit contradictory from what you would normally read. So, um, that one, you know, for me, I thought it was helpful. There was, there's a lot of stuff just around family. Um, there's a lot of stuff around friendships, but then also how that stuff intersects with your work. Um, and I think some of the stuff about, you know, identity as a professional, um, that I talked about, you know, a few minutes back, it kind of comes out of that book. So, uh, definitely would recommend it. And anything else that Scott Galloway puts out, I think he's spectacular. Cool, sounds good. I'll I'll certainly check it out.
0: Um, you were saying there's another one, or so he's got
1: a few another. other books. He's got um, okay. the Four, which is basically, you know, his he's he's kind of like a big tech, he's like a big tech lover, big tech hater. Like he's made his hay investing in Facebook, Apple, mm-hmm. Amazon, Google. Um, but then just rips on them on his podcast. So the four <laughs> is basically just talking about, you know, the monopolies that exist in big tech, but also from a business perspective, it's very fascinating because you can kind of read how these businesses were built um, and then how you can apply some of those levers that these, you know, kind of monopolistic beasts have implemented to your own small business. Cool. Cool. Very
0: good. Uh, Danny, how can people find you and how can people reach out to you?
1: Yeah, so ironically, I'm actually pretty. I I run an agency that does social media work for influencers and all that stuff. I'm actually pretty private, but you can find me on Instagram at dmiller5798, um, and if you wanted to reach me, just Danny at genrevv dot com. Danny at genref.com. dot com.
0: Sounds good, Danny. And uh, I believe the the conversation that we have uh, done uh, are creating a lot of value to our audience. Um am glad. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I will probably follow up with you on a lot of things that uh, you've been through, um, right? We have sure a lot of you know common background. Um, thank you for tuning in. Um, please uh, come back uh, in our next episode.